Do we even remember there is a Spirit of God aside from our reciting our creeds? And if so, I argue, we often tend to forget that the Spirit of God is more than a line in our creedal statements and more than a line in our end of worship benedictions. We tend to forget that the Spirit of God is, to put it bluntly, very disruptive, incredibly disruptive. That's the Reverend Dr. Greg Stovell, and today he shares a challenging message of faith called Disruptive. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to day one, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. This is your guest host, Dalton Rushing, and today on day one, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Dr. Greg Stovell, senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in the city of New York. Greg has an educational background in electronic engineering and telecommunications and a bachelor's degree in mathematics from the University of Dubuque. He earned his Master of Divinity from the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary and his Doctor of Ministry in Preaching from McCormick Theological Seminary. Before coming to First Church in 2020, he served congregations in Caldwell, New Jersey, Belleville, Illinois, and Westchester, Pennsylvania. Greg, welcome to Day One. It's great to be here, Dalton. Thank you. Greg, the First Presbyterian Church in the city of New York, also known as First Church, is a strong congregation with a rich history and an amazing ministry. Tell us a little bit about the long history of that church, how that history of worship, preaching, mission, and social justice informs what you're up to today. First Church is a great church, um, I say with a little bit of bias. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was founded about 307 years old uh, down towards the Wall Street area of New York City and uh, has always been a progressive activist church, uh, very, very involved in the community and the history of the city. Um, I know several of the trustees fought with General Washington. Wow. Uh, There's been a history of the progressive movement in the church uh, and also a history of excellence in worship as well. Uh, one of our former pastors, Harry Merson Fosdick, mm. preached a very controversial and progressive sermon for the time about 100 years ago. Yeah, And uh, that legacy of being involved in what's going on in the city continues, even to this day, I think. Say more about some of the ways your church serves the city and beyond through various action groups. Our action groups are part of our um, governance Uh, structure in the church. I know that uh, one of the big strengths that we have is a outreach to the LGBTQ community. Uh, We are not just a fully inclusive church, but we're a church that also becomes an advocate Mm. for the LGBTQ community. And not only that, our session focuses its ministry through action groups. Mm. Uh, Among them are Eradicating Poverty and our Soup Kitchen Ministry, the LGBTQ Advocacy Group. Uh, facing racism, uh, refugees and immigration. And all of those ministries take a big front seat into the overall scope of mm. what the church is called to do. Some of the most specific ministries we have are a soup kitchen uh, that we host with St. Joe's mm. uh, once a week, about 300 meals wow. every Saturday. 
we had a campaign a couple of years ago, Get Out the Vote, yeah. uh, to be able to get people involved in their local and national uh, elections. Uh, obviously not telling them which way to go, but, sure. but rather uh, doing what we're called to do and, and speaking up. Um, we participate in marches as well for the crisis that we have with the climate as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that takes a big part of our ministry, I think. First Church has always had a strong pulpit. You mentioned the centennial of Harry Emerson Fosdick's well-known sermon, Shall the Fundamentalist Win? How would you characterize your own style and approach to preaching God's Word? Changing. Mm. (laughs) It just needs to be these days. Uh, I I think that I was trained in the new homiletical style, Mm. and my thesis was based on the new homiletical style and the experience of the listener. But the world is changing so fast right now that— Preaching needs to take a different approach. I used to argue that the closest cousin that we have to preaching is the short story. Hmm. Um, But today it's more like the political discourse Hmm. where you end up with sound bites that people catch on to and um, people expect direct relevancy from the pulpit rather than inductive Hmm. uh, style. Greg, you were born in Mexico and raised between Mexico City and London, England. How does that international background influence your life and ministry today? That's a really good question. Uh, I'm not really sure. I do know that I am, best I can describe it as a rich cultural accident Mm. uh, because I understand what ministry in an urban environment is about Mm. and life in an urban environment. And having that multicultural background is just enormously helpful in New York City, even with uh, just speaking the language, Mm -hmm. uh, speaking Spanish and speaking English at the same time. New York City is the stereotypical melting pot, Mm. and it really does live up to its reputation. And so trying to understand what it's like to do ministry in a multicultural, diverse setting is just hugely helpful. And aside from that, we got a really fun tourist ministry going on. Every Mm. Sunday morning we get a good number of visitors that just see the doors open and walk in, and they're from all over the world Mm. just walking around Fifth Avenue. And the conversations then sue after that, and the stories they take with them is just rewarding. Cool. You were ordained in 2001. In fact, your candidacy Sunday at Caldwell, New Jersey, was the first Sunday after 9-11, which sounds particularly challenging. Tell us about that experience. It was definitely difficult. Uh, we were unpacking boxes in the men's um, the day that the planes hit the towers. And it's cold well, it's close enough that if, if you walk two blocks, you can actually see the city from wow. there. And so for a long time, we saw the smoke and um, our church was a commuter church. And so mm. it hit us hard. Sure. Uh, so it's a very interesting time to begin to do ministry, and in my case, it was to begin ordained ministry. Um, But then with with every interesting and challenging time, there's some good opportunities. And uh, ministry became very real at the time, and every word that you said became relevant, or hopefully became relevant and important to people. Greg, you started your education focusing on engineering, telecommunications, and math. How did your call to ordained ministry come about for you? Oh, my word. I mean, it depends who you ask, but hmm. I, I guess I've always been involved in the church ever since I was very little. I preached a sermon because I won a contest when I was eight. <laughs> and uh, my mother says that I sat down back in the pew and said, that was cool. <laughs> and I don't remember that. She does, however. The, the biggest 
eye-opener for cult ministry was during my bachelor's in electronic engineering in Mexico, mm. when I had to focus on whether I was going to go specialize in digital or power electronics. And I went to my advisor and I said, I just have no idea. Mm. And she said, well, go home and check out your bookcases. Uh, find out what books you have the most about. Huh. That's where your passion is. So I went home and I looked at my bookcases looking for digital or power electronics and found that I had the most in New Testament. Mm. And I said, well, there's something here for sure. I spoke to my pastor and the church began to affirm that call. Well, as we begin this new year, the church celebrates the baptism of the Lord. And your sermon draws from the account of Paul's ministry in Ephesus from Acts chapter 19. Would you read it for us? Sure. Happy to. From Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they replied, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what were you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. So the Holy Spirit comes upon the surprised believers there in Ephesus. What stood out for you here as you prepared your sermon? Well, primarily that line uh, where the disciples in Ephesus say, we did not even know there was a Holy Spirit. Hmm. That really stood out, and, and I wondered, do we know now? Hmm. Uh, are, are we really attuned to the work of the Spirit? I thought that was a timeless question right there. Greg, we look forward to hearing your message on this. It's called Disruption. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program with Greg Stovell with an extended interview, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Day One Weekly Program, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404 404- 815-9110. My wife and I have two grown children. When they were little, about three and five years old, I remember perfectly, we're sitting in the living room uh, while the kids were, for some reason, playing in the bathroom. While we were watching TV, all of a sudden, we hear coming from inside of the bathroom someone saying, no, 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 wait, 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 followed by a huge splash. We turned, and about three seconds later, our three-year-old Harry walks out of the bathroom completely soaked, mad, and mumbling something. What on earth happened to you, I asked. He just looked at me and stormed out of the room. Our daughter, five years old, Susie, walks out of the bathroom smiling as if nothing happened. I said, what happened to your brother? She looked at us and very matter-of-factly said, I baptized him. You did what? 
Well, I baptized him. His stomach hurt. Oh, my. We let that one go, but, but he was fuming. It is not a good thing to baptize someone against their will. I know my kids would not have passed a theology exam at that age, but, but one thing they got right that day. Baptism is disruptive. It's meant to be disruptive. The sacrament of baptism is meant to be disruptive, and even more, I need to correct myself, it's not just a sacrament. The Spirit of God is incredibly disruptive. The challenge, I think, comes in the fact that we often forget how disruptive God can be. Picture the typical scene on a Sunday morning. I think you will agree with me that we have domesticated the sacrament. In my tradition, the Presbyterian Church USA, we make baptisms look good. Most of our baptisms are hallmark-worthy. We do baptize adults, but the vast majority of our baptisms are for babies. And the whole scene looks beautiful. There, the couple stands proudly wearing their Sunday best. The front pews are packed with aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents, all holding up their phones with their cameras. Up front, the pastor, dressed neatly in a pressed black robe, carries a gorgeous smiling baby. Dressed in a white long gown, and the baby, well, no crying she makes. It's a thing of beauty. In theory, this is exactly what it looks like. But if we stopped for a moment and put down our cameras and thought about the claims we make, I think we would be scandalized. Think of the questions that we ask in baptism. Do you renounce evil and its power in the world? Well, I do, I do. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And do you trust him? And do you intend for your child to be Christ's faithful disciple? Um, yeah, yeah, we do. Do you? Are you sure? Now, we don't really ask if they're sure, but I know I've always wanted to, because it's disruptive indeed. What if we stop to think about the imagery enacted in the sacrament? Water and death and resurrection, sin, grace, newness of life. Imagine that. What if we pay close attention to the baptisms in the New Testament? Or what if we pay close attention to the work of the Spirit of God in the book of Acts? You heard the reading a few minutes ago. Paul is in Ephesus, and he arrives to Ephesus, and there he finds a small group of believers. We assume they are disciples of Apollos, a new believer who is in Corinth at the moment and who is known to be a gifted preacher. Paul meets these 12 new disciples, 12 of them. Does the number sound familiar? Of course it does. The number alone should tell you that something is about to happen. These 12 disciples gather for worship, I imagine. And in the brief conversation they have with Paul, Paul discovers that something is amiss. You're baptized. Yes, we are. How? How were you baptized? Something tells me they are just eager to share. Most of us would be. Baptism is something very dear to many of us. One does not forget certain baptisms, that of our children, our grandchildren, and for many of us, even our own. I remember my own baptism Easter Sunday. I was 22 years old. 
I had gone through my preparation classes. I read the material, and when Sunday came, the whole baptism lasted about, oh, five minutes. That's it. Five minutes, maybe less. But in the words of Professor Craddock, it has taken me a lifetime to understand its implications. How, asks Paul, how were you baptized? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, the 12 Ephesians says, yes, we were baptized, but what do you mean by receiving the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there is a Holy Spirit. You didn't? 2,000 years have passed. They didn't know back then. Do we know now? Do we even remember there is a Spirit of God aside from our reciting our creeds? When we say, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Do we? Do we even remember the Spirit of God beyond the creed? And if so, I argue, we often tend to forget that the Spirit of God is more than a line in our creedal statements and more than a line in our end of worship benedictions. We tend to forget that the Spirit of God is, to put it bluntly, very disruptive, incredibly disruptive. Think for a moment of the enormous disruption of the Spirit in the book of Acts from the very beginning of the church. On Pentecost, as Jerusalem is bursting at the seams, about 120 believers poured out into the streets, proclaiming the mighty acts of God in a powerful way. Disruption. The church grows from 120 to 3,000 baptized believers in one day, spreading the word all over the known world. Disruption. The church begins to be persecuted and suffers its first martyr. Disruption. The church welcomes and baptizes an Ethiopian eunuch. Oh, spirit, now you're pushing it. The one deemed unclean by ancient law. Is there anything preventing me from being baptized right here on the side of the road? No, no, nothing at all. Disruption. And then in Acts chapter 10, the Gentile Pentecost. Peter and a few others go and preach at the home of Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort. And every Gentile in that home believed, and they were all baptized. And the church became diverse and ever so much more beautiful than what it was just a chapter ago. Disruption. And now the Spirit of God leads Paul to break every rule in the book. Into what were you baptized? Into the baptism of John. No, 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 no. No, that's not right. Let's do it right this time, shall we? And so Paul rebaptizes them. By the way, this is the only rebaptism in the New Testament. Interesting approach to ministry, really. You don't like how the previous one was done? Ah, do it again. Oh, my word. He would be in trouble if he were a Presbyterian. If Paul's Presbytery would hear about it, someone would hit him with our Constitution and say, Hey, Paul, Book of Order, Section of Worship. God's faithfulness to us is sure, even when human faithfulness to God is not. Therefore, baptism is not to be repeated. W-30402, hallelujah. <laughs> Paul would be in trouble, but, but here's the thing. I don't think that Paul would care. Paul just baptizes them in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. 
not because he is a rebel or he wants to, but, but simply because the Spirit is moving and the Spirit of God is being disruptive. Those rebaptized probably became the core of the church in Ephesus. And miracles began to happen left and right in very dramatic ways. And there is great opposition, and there are healings and ministries of social justice that begin to take place, God's love to the sick and the poor and the outcast. And the Holy Spirit begins to change the entire community in Ephesus through the ministry of Paul and these twelve. Oh, if you ask me, I'd say that the twelve were not only baptized that day, they were baptized and recruited to share the love of God with a broken and dying world. I love the line by William Willimon, who wrote, The Spirit is not optional equipment for Christians, nor an advanced degree separating the Spirit-filled ones from the rest of us. Now, the Spirit of God moves among God's people not for the purpose of sanitized, beautiful, choreographed worship or devotion, but for the changing of this world and the transformation of human hearts. Disruptive indeed. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So I ask one more now, 2,000 years later. Do we know now? Are we aware of the work of the Spirit through the Church of Jesus Christ on behalf of this broken, dying, and hungry world? One of the creedal statements of the Presbyterian Church gives witness to the work of the Spirit. It simply says, In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all people to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of peoples long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. Oh, my word, that is blessed, sacred disruption. And, and just because it's not printed in the church bulletin, it doesn't mean that God can't do it and that God can't move, inspired, and disrupt our tidy worlds, just as God has done so many times before. One of the first baptisms in the Gospels was when Jesus was baptized. Matthew says that when Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened. Oh, come on, Matthew, you can do better than that. It's too sanitized. Mark instead, I like Mark better, uses a peculiar Greek word. When Jesus came out of the waters, the heavens schizo, which means the heavens were torn apart. You see, the heavens weren't just opened, they were torn apart. How appropriate, I say, because that is exactly what the Spirit of God does. So this is my prayer, that God may continue to disrupt our lives, our churches, our pulpits, and our world. Amen. Our preacher today was the Rev. Dr. Greg Stovell, Senior Pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in the City of New York. For a free transcript of his sermon for the Baptism of Christ, titled Disruptive, 
call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Day 1 depends on the financial donations of our faithful listeners. Please consider supporting our unique ministry with a generous gift. We need your help as we begin this new year of Day 1 broadcasts. We're grateful for your support. Again, our address is Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or donate online at day1.org. And visit our easy-to-use website where you can listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the program archives, and much more. That's day1.org. This is Dalton Rushing. Next week on Day One, we're delighted to welcome Bishop Tom Berlin, Bishop of the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church based in Lakeland. Tom's sermon for the second Sunday after the Epiphany is titled, The Power of Identity. Please join us next time on Day One. This is Day One guest host Dalton Rushing. In these challenging times, I'm so grateful for the impact this faith-building program, Day One, is making in the lives of hundreds of thousands of people around the world. This year, we celebrate 79 years of faithful weekly ministry. If you appreciate this uplifting program, I hope you'll support our work with a generous donation now. You can mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305 or call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or give securely online at dayone.org. From all of us at Day One, thank you, and God bless you. Now our Day One preacher, Greg Stovell, offers some final reflections on his sermon today titled Disruption. And Greg, you shared the story of your unhappy three-year-old son who was baptized in the bathtub by his older sister, and he wasn't happy about it. While it wasn't a very theologically pure baptism, you said that they did get one thing right about it. Baptism is meant to be disruptive. The Spirit of God is disruptive, and we often forget how disruptive God can be. Would you say more about what that means? How might God disrupt individuals and churches today? I think it happens all the time, really. Mm. I think God's disruption ministry is ongoing. Uh, The disconnect is not in God, it's in us. Mm. Because we're often way too focused on so many other things Mm. that our lives are so full that we don't pay attention to what God might be doing. Sure. But God's disruption, I think, is constant. I think we're constantly being challenged out of our own specific ministry boxes and life boxes and if we're open, I think it can be a very exciting journey. You said you remember your baptism at age 22, and it lasted about five minutes. But as Fred Craddock once said, it's taken you a lifetime to understand its implications. Being a believer should indeed involve some lifelong learning. So how would you suggest we go about striving to learn and live the implications of our baptism and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives for that matter? That's a great question. I think it has to do with keeping ourselves open and keeping our eyes and our hearts open to what God might be doing and the ways that God speaks to us. We church folk tend to gravitate way too much to the 
stereotypical holy avenues. Mm. When in reality, I think that God can speak through the world around us and God speaks through the people around us, the world around us. All we got to do is turn on the news, fire mm. up the internet, open the paper, and God is speaking. Uh, the big question is, are we listening? And I think a, a steady diet of discernment and discernment among colleagues and like-minded and also non-like-minded hmm. Christians uh, would be a healthy way to go. What's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? Acts 19 for me presented a big challenge of having to ask myself the question, am I open to the leading of the Spirit? As I said in the sermon, Paul rebaptized some believers. Hmm. I'm not advocating for breaking polity by any <laughs> means, but uh, Am I open to the fact that God might be doing something that I find incredibly uncomfortable hmm. or unsettling and that takes me out of my many-year preconceived ministry boxes or life boxes? So I would say the challenge of just being open to the leading of the Spirit of God in many beautiful, creative, disruptive ways. Amen. Greg Stovell, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dalton. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. Forever.